Oh, man. Pictures are nice, aren't they? They're beautiful. They can they can bring back emotions. They can bring back all sorts of feelings, and you can instantly connect. And even when they share, you share them with each other. You don't know. Maybe you don't know my wife that well. Maybe you, we weren't there on our wedding day. But when you look at that, you can sort of experience the same thing I kind of experienced. Oh, it's it's a beautiful picture. It's it's a great time. It's you don't actually have to know the person either sometimes to connect with somebody. What's interesting is, is that these pictures here, the ones that I shared and the ones that you shared, aren't the real persons. I mean, they're not real people. They're just memories. But they're, they're so special and, so, and so, so cherished by us. But they're not the real thing. Now, how much better would it be, if, for those of you who are sharing pictures of people who aren't here, to have that person or those people sitting next to you? Whether they be ones that you miss, loved ones that are gone, or just in another state. But how much better would it be if they were right here, right now with you? That would be even better. That's why I want to look at Jesus a little differently. Consider him again this morning. And we're going to look at him through a picture of another person. And for that, we're going to go back in time again like we've been doing before. But I'm going to ask you to consider Jesus again through another person here, through Adam. And we're going to start in Romans, Romans chapter 5. Go over to Romans chapter 5 if you want to in your Bibles. I've got the section up here if you want to just follow along, if you can see that. Hopefully the contrast is not too bad. It's Romans 5, 12 through 14. Paul is going to refer to Adam and Jesus here, and he's going to say this is a picture of Jesus. When he's holding up Adam, it's, it's Adam, but it's a picture of Jesus back in Genesis. This is how he describes this picture as he's holding it up and describing his thoughts about Jesus and about us. He's saying, here's a picture of Jesus, 12 through 14. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Because all sinned. For until the law was sin, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. There's Adam, or there's Paul, excuse me, saying, Adam is a type of Jesus. He's a picture. You hold up Adam, and you're seeing a type of of Jesus here. This is what Jesus is. This is how Paul is, is describing to his people of the day and, and to us. By extension, this is Jesus. And I want to look at that type. I want to look at that picture. Go over to Genesis in your Bibles and look at this because you know the backstory. We've been through it and we've, we've gone through it numerous times. And I'm sure you could quote it to me. In fact, maybe, maybe you should tell me about it. What's the backstory here in chapter 2 of Genesis? Verses 15 through 17, you can see the scripture up here and you can see it in your Bible. What's the backstory? Don't eat it. That's a good way to, to caption that. Don't eat this. <laughs> what does God say? He says he took, took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. He's working. He's, he's been created to work in this garden. And God says, from any tree of the garden you may do what? You can eat. But from the tree of... The knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, what? Surely die. 
So the backstory here starts here, that, that God is, has set some parameters here for man. He said, I've created all of this for you, and I'm asking you to not eat from this tree. Genesis chapter 3, the first six verses here. Now tell me what happens. After God has set these parameters and he set these things in motion and, and Adam and Eve are in the garden, what happens? The serpent comes up right there. Chapters, chapter 3, 1 through 6, and he's crafty. And he says to the woman, what? And yeah, indeed, shall you, shall, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Did God really say that? Has God said that to you? And she says what in verse 2? From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. Now the serpent says what? You shall not. Yeah. Nah, don't worry about it. Nah. That's right. He starts to cast doubt immediately on the words of God. He starts to, to throw shade about what God has really said. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. All of this stuff you know. All of this stuff you've probably heard many, many, many times. You've probably taught it in classes. You've probably thought about it on your own. Now, I'm going to ask you a question about this, and I would like your honest answer. Here's the question. Why do you think Adam and Eve gave in? Why did Adam and Eve do that? I, I thought I heard something, but I didn't hear it. Did somebody say something? Because they were told they wouldn't. They believed what the serpent said. She believed what the serpent said. She gave it to her husband. He ate as well. Okay. Believed what the serpent said. All right. Consider that God was withholding something. Say that again. They were weak. Okay. That's a good one. They wanted to be like God. Okay. Just curious. Curious about what it might hold, what God's holding back from them, maybe. What, what is he really saying no to? Oops. Say that again, Frank. Maybe they didn't, well, yeah, probably didn't understand death, yeah. Didn't consider the consequences, okay. Yes, Craig. They believed in their own, own selves. Okay. Believed in self rather than what God had told them? Okay. They wanted wisdom? Gain wisdom, okay. Wanted to gain, wanted to, to know what, what they didn't know? <laughs> Gain wisdom. Okay, I saw, uh, let's see, I saw Bill's hand up too, and then uh, Linda after Bill. Sorry, I couldn't think of your name. Bill. They're like me. They don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. And, and a simple one, but that's so true too. I don't like to be told what to do either. That's so true. Don't like to be told what to do. Just a second trying to write some of these down and, and keep track of them because it's, it's part of the follow-up question. I want to I do that. 
what to, to do. Okay, Linda? <laughs> she said, she said we're stupid. I think she was talking to you, Craig. <laughs> Okay. And ate with pride and prayed and learned and rubbed elbows and cried. Uh-huh. Look what they did too. So mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. It just seems like there's just something in us that's yeah. Well kinda like sheep. Kinda like sheep. Not very bright. Have to be told where to go and, and even don't like being told where to go and sometimes wander off and do what we want to do. Yeah, we're kinda we're not, we're not great up here, probably. Tom? Lust of the flesh. Yeah, basic lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. All that You can see that in there, yeah. Okay. Did I miss anybody that has something they want to say? All right. Considering all of that, you, you guys, there's a lot of things... What have you seen, or where have you seen those same motivations in the world today? Everywhere. Everywhere? Yeah, the lust of the flesh, you can see that everywhere, can't you? Don't like to be told what to do. I can see that everywhere, too. Don't like to be told what to do. Sometimes we're just stupid. I can see that everywhere, too. What are some of the other ones? You're curious, yes? Some people are just weak. Yeah, I've been weak. I've been weak in the past. I may be weak in the future. Believe God was withholding something from them. I almost, almost think that, that when I sin, I think God is withholding something from me. I think that seems like fun. And you're telling me that's not good for me? That seems good for me. Wonder, wonder what you're keeping from me. <laughs> they don't understand the consequences. They didn't believe. And they wanted to gain wisdom. You know, a lot of that stuff you can see in the world today. But a follow-up question to that is, what about your life? In your life, are you describing, when you gave me these answers, are you describing where you've been? Like Bill says, I don't like to be told what to do. If I gave you an answer to why do I think Adam and Eve gave in, a lot of times the answer I'm giving you is an answer that I've given myself. They wanted wisdom. You said they wanted wisdom. Do you see that in your life? In, in, a, in a certain way. You want to know what's, what's behind that curtain. God says, don't go behind that curtain. And you say, I just need to know. What's you holding back from me, God? What are you, what are you keeping away from me? A lot of that is, is this. And, and that, we see that in play here in Genesis. And like you said, it's even in the world today. It's been in the world. It's going to be in the world. It's been in our lives. It's going to be in our kids' lives, our grandkids' lives. It's going to be in everybody's life. Everybody. So there's nothing new here, obviously. Nothing new. And things went bad in the garden, right? Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. And what happens after those mistakes are made is pretty telling. You see there in verse 7. Go over here to Genesis 7. As soon as mistakes happen, as soon as sin enters here, as soon as Adam and Eve decide that for whatever reason personally they had, whether it was all of these combined or it was something else exactly, I mean, all of it boils down to the fact that they did what God told them not to do, period. Which is all we really need to know, which is all we really do when we 
when we sin. Here, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of them both were open. Eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. I want you to notice, as soon as sin enters the world, what starts to break down? What breaks immediately? Okay, morality, but what else? Relationships, yes, relationship. As soon as sin enters the world, relationships break down. The relationship, the very first thing we see here, now we know that the relationship between them and God is, is broken down. But the very first thing we see is a relationship between husband and wife that were okay together, naked, didn't know any difference, didn't, didn't care. All of a sudden, there's a break here. There's a break in the relationship that was before and is now something completely different. And now we're ashamed to see each other the way we are. There's something different here. You're going to say something, Helen? Right. We just passed the buck. Well, that's part of that relationship breakdown, right? We, we, our, our relationship broken down, and it can't be my fault. It's not my fault that this happened. It's, like you said, it's the serpent's fault. Or for the man, hey, it's, she gave it to me. Yeah, that woman you gave me. It's actually your fault for giving me the woman. Because you gave me the woman that, that gave me the fruit. It's not my fault. It's, it's your fault, really. Yeah. Innocence lost, definitely. Innocence completely lost. Craig? Their confidence was broken. Okay. Their confidence was broken. Confidence in each other. Confidence in the relationship that they had with them and with God. Yes. Okay. So that's, and that's the first thing I see there. In Genesis 3-7, the first thing that happens, at least the first thing that we see immediately is all of a sudden they realize that they're not the same together. The relationship between husband and wife is now drastically different. But it doesn't stop there. The next set of verses here, 8 through 11. Look at 8 through 11. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of the which I commanded you not to eat? So many questions from an all-knowing God that knows the answers to every question he asked. And is just seen, Adam, you're going to be serious with me now? You're going to tell me the truth now? You've already, you've already messed things up. I know where you are, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I'm gonna know, I know you ate from the tree, but I'm going to ask you anyway. It sounds a lot like my parents. I know I've, I've said that before. My parents, when they asked me, Robert... Do you know why this went missing? No. <laughs> and they know exactly why that or this went missing. And they're only asking so that I say, oh, yes, I did it. I'm sorry. But I, like a dumb kid, said no, thinking you could get away with it, thinking you can call your defense lawyer in really quickly. And, <laughs> and, but no, they knew. God knows. And now what relationship is breaking down? You've got the husband and wife relationship breaking down, and now you've got God's relationship with man and, and, and Eve. It's breaking down. You're hiding from me now. You're lying. Not only have you already done what's wrong, but now you're even lying to me. What are you doing? 
relationship with God breaks down, but it doesn't end there. Look at verses 14. Oh, this one's going to be hard for you to see. I'm, I'm sorry. But 14, look at your Bibles there for 14 through 19. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. Dust you shall eat all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So not only does the husband and wife relationship break down and the relationship between God and them break down, but even the relationship between what God created for them and them breaks down. Everything changes from top to bottom when sin enters the world. Everything. It's amazing, once sin touches something, how pervasive that sin is. It doesn't just dent you a little. It destroys completely. We can't just sin a little. We can't just dabble in this and say, that's not a bad thing to do, just a little. Get in, get out. Like I like to shop. I like to shop and get in and get out. Right? Right? <laughs> And a lot of times it's the way we think about sin. Just get in and get out, and it's not going to hurt you too much. But once you get in, that sin kills. It's pervasive. It goes through everything. And that's what, uh, what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5. And that's the picture that he's showing is this pervasiveness of sin and this one atom that this sin came through and showing us a picture of, of a man who brought death to all because of the sin that came through him and the sin that we participate in. That's the important part about this, is that it's not in just uh, because I'm born that, that I am sinful. It's because I participate in the sin that I am sinful. It's not just because I'm here, but because I've decided to actually participate in this sin. And that's what Romans 5 is saying. Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned. Not just one man sinned, but everybody is sinned. The context there is everybody. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Paul says that in Romans 2. All have sinned and fallen short of of the glory of God. So this participation that we, that we involve in, when, when Paul is holding up a picture of Adam and he's saying, I remember this guy, death came through him. Death, sin entered the world. Here's another question for you. In what way have you seen or experienced broken relationships as a result of disobeying God? This one might be a little too personal to share. Because it might be your relationship that we're talking about, or it might be somebody that you know that you, you don't need to talk about, shouldn't talk about. And maybe this is a question that you need to mull over yourself. But what ways have you seen that? A broken relationship with God, with others, because sin enters the world and sin in, enters in their life. I've seen it in my life. I know, personally, I've seen it in my life. 
when I walk away, when I have walked away, back when I was a kid, decided to, when I, when I was 18, I went off to, to art school. I was going to be an artist, a world-famous artist, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to be. Yeah, I kind of got off the tracks a little. I just, my world fame is probably, you know, years down the road now. I just just put it back a couple couple years. That's a joke. I'm just kidding. Sorry. I'm never going to be world famous. But anyway, yeah, sorry. But I was going to be an artist. That's what I planned on doing. But I went down to Arizona as soon as I got out of high school. And you know what I did? I thought, oh, my, look at all this stuff that my parents told me I can't do. Oh, my, look at all this stuff that looks interesting. And I've always thought it looked interesting, but before there was kind of some shackles on me that I couldn't do this. And now I can. <laughs> and I did. And it didn't, didn't go well. Horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. It took me years to get back. Wasted years of my life doing that stuff. Years of memories that I wish I didn't have. That's that broken relationship in my life. Because I disobeyed God. I didn't, I didn't think at the time I was disobeying God either. I thought I was just having fun. I thought I was just doing... Everybody does it. It felt, yeah, it felt right. It felt good. Everybody was doing it. My friends were doing it. People around me were doing it. It was fun. It was wrong. It was sin. And it, it would have completely destroyed me had I not figured that out and come to my senses like the, like the prodigal son and come back and say, I need, I need to come back. And he's standing there waiting for me, luckily, like God does. But where have you seen that? Now, if you, don't, if you can't share that, don't share that. And if you can't share that, think about that in context with this, this sermon here. Because that's what Paul is talking about, that this, this broken relationship has changed everything. Our broken relationship with God has changed everything. And our broken relationship with Jesus changes everything. Adam and Eve's story turns out badly, doesn't it? They get expelled from the garden. All of that stuff happens. And God didn't just just give up on them, though, did he? Not only did he make clothes for them, he clothed them. He still loved them. But he says, "I've, I've even got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for the people. We've been through that before, too. We've, we've gone from Genesis to Revelation and looked at, at even Jesus through all of those things. From Genesis to Revelation, God's plan has always been there. And he had a plan for these people, too. And since none of us are perfect, I, I think it's really great that he's got a plan. Because unless you're betting on the fact that you can get everything right 100% of the time, all of the time, and everything right all the time, then you, you need some help. That's where Paul comes in again here in Romans chapter 5. And he's saying, that picture of Adam that I'm showing you, it represents this sin. But there's another part to this picture, this Jesus part to this picture. That's why I'm asking you to consider him again here. When we look at pictures, and we look at pictures that may bring back good memories or bad memories, look at verse 15 of chapter 5 of Romans. Paul says, but the free gift. Is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression one of the many or one of the many died, much more did the grace of God by the gift of by the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came to the one who sinned. For on the one hand the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose 
from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through the one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as though one man, as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Adam and Eve changed everything, and Jesus changed everything. Adam and Eve had a choice, right? Back then they had a choice. God gave them a choice, and they made their choice. They made the wrong choice. And Paul is saying, look at this wrong choice. As I hold this picture up, look at this wrong choice. But on the other side of that coin, there is this right choice. This Jesus Christ makes the right choice over and over and over again. You can see it in the life of Jesus. Tell me where Jesus made the right choice. Remember the gospel accounts. Where did he make the right choice? Anybody? To go to the cross. To go to the cross, okay. How about, how about in, like, like you and I, the Bible says he was tempted in every way like us, right? Yet without sin. Mm-hmm. So how do you see that in the gospel accounts? Where do you see Jesus saying, no, nope, I'm going to make the right choice? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. Okay. In the wilderness where Satan comes and he tempts him. And Jesus says, nope, I'm going to make the right choice. I'm going to make the right choice. I'm going to make the right choice. Three times he says, I'm going to make the right choice. And he goes the opposite way that Adam went. Tom? His baptism. Okay, his baptism. To fulfill all righteousness, I'm going to make the right choice. He never broke relationship with his father because he's always gone in prayer. Late at night or early in the morning, he's just like finding prayer. Okay. He's always connected to the father. He's making the right choice in his relationship with the father. Okay. Okay. The night in the garden, yes. Not my will, but yours be done. I would, I would actually like another way, but not my will, yours be done. Before um, Pilate. Before Pilate. Okay. He made the right choice every single time, didn't he? That's the life of a man who makes the right choice over and over again. And Paul is contrasting this wrong choice with the right choice. This one who is the first Adam that made the wrong choice, and this is the right Adam. This is the Adam that sets things back right. This is this Jesus Christ, 15 through 19 there of Romans chapter 5. He says, this is the right one. Verses 20 and 21, read that with me. And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness to what? Eternal life. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, physical and spiritual death brought through Adam eternal life, both here and beyond in Christ. Forever will we reign with him. And that's kind of where I wanted to bring the pictures and all of this in together. As we look at at considering Jesus, considering him again, and seeing him through the eyes of Paul, seeing this man who has set everything right again. 
I'm going to go back to a point that, that Bill made this morning. I'm going to ask you to a- answer this question. And I would like some of your questions. You know, don't answer them now for me. Don't, don't tell me now. I would like to hear them later on. And I'd like to post, post some of them on Facebook so that we can share beyond here some, some ways that we do this here. This is the question here. What helps you to be more like Jesus? What helps you to be more like Jesus? What do you do? How do what do you think? Where do you go when you're thinking, I need to be more like him? For some people, it might be, I, I need to be here at worship every Sunday and, and Wednesday nights. I need to be here. That helps me be more like him. And I can understand that because what, is, what do you feel like when you miss a Wednesday or you miss a Sunday? That, that week feels off. It feels, yeah, it does. It feels like that for me, too. It, it feels like I'm, I'm missing something. I'm missing my brothers and sisters. I'm missing because I'm used to that connection with you, and I'm used to that, that fellowship, and I'm used to that encouraging and that worshiping together. And when, I don't feel, when I don't have that, I do feel less than I should. I need more Jesus. I need to be here and worship. I need to be fellowship here or, or at other people's houses and just fellowshipping with my brothers and sisters. What about uh, surrounding yourselves with other believers like that, even outside of the, the worship service? Meeting each other at like McDonald's and, and just talking about Jesus. Getting together and just sharing, what's he doing in your life? Or let's study this. Let's talk about this. What about reading your Bible and prayer? I want you to think about those things. And, and don't, don't tell me now, because I don't think we have much time to do that right now, but... Um, I want to hear about what helps your relationship with Jesus. And I'd like you to not just share it with me. I'd like you to share it with each other. Before we leave today, share it with at least one person. What helps your relationship with Jesus? What may, helps you look more like him? As Bill was, Bill was at the, towards the end of his, his lesson this morning, I wrote, I wrote down that he was talking about a party that he and his wife had debated about whether or not going to. And they ended up going and ended up regretting it because it was not a party they should have been at. And he said something about your kids or somebody thinking you're a stick in the mud because you're not doing what you used to do, right? At least I think that's, I think that's what, what, what you said. And I was thinking, where did that phrase stick in the mud come from? I, got, I completely got off topic as soon as he said stick in the mud. Like sometimes I do. Because I'm thinking, where did that phrase come from? Stick in the mud. Why, why, why do we even say that? I've said that. My parents have said that. Where did that come from? So I looked it up to my shame during Bill's class. I, I looked it up. Sorry, Bill. But I found it interesting in, in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ and being considered by those when we choose to do the right thing rather than do the wrong thing, a stick in the mud because we don't do what everybody else does. And so we're that proverbial stick in the mud who's, who's a goody two-shoes and won't do it or whatever. I found this interesting. Um, let me get down to the part here. Uh, the term, oh, darn, I just, just went right by it. Okay, uh, here it is. The figurative phrase, stick in the mud, derives from the imagery of someone whose feet are stuck in wet clay and is unable to progress. It was preceded in the language by earlier versions, for example, stick in the briars. Anybody ever hear that? Stick in the briars? No? Some people, yeah. Clay, mire, 
sticking the clay mire. This is how it was usually applied. These were usually applied to people who remained in a difficult situation either by choice or because they were stuck. Now, when I think of you know, being called a stick in the mud, it's usually because I'm, I'm, sticking out, I'm, I'm choosing not to do this fun thing with my friends and, I, and I'm, I'm a stick in the mud. I'm, I'm, a, I'm dragging people down or I'm just a dull person. The stick in the mud here is, is a person who is choosing to remain in a difficult situation. When I choose to remain in a difficult situation, that sounds a lot like sin to me. I've chosen to remain in a difficult situation. Rather than, than to choose the right thing, which is Jesus, I've chosen to choose the wrong thing. So when we're talking about stick in the mud, maybe we should be called stick. Or no, maybe the, the, the stick in the mud should be twisted around here. The one that's calling you a stick in the mud is actually the one choosing to remain in that clay mire. And they don't even realize that they're stuck in that clay mire. They're calling me a stick in the mud, but you're the one that's choosing the wrong thing. I'm the one that's choosing Jesus. You're choosing to be stuck. You're choosing to be tied down by sin. Don't choose that anymore. You don't have to be stuck there. You can be freed from sin. You can be freed from these bad choices when you get more Jesus in your life, when you consider him. That's why I'm asking you to consider him again. When you look at pictures, when you look at pictures of sin this week, and you're going to see them. You're going to see them flash in front of your eyes. You're going, to, you're going to have that thought go through your head, and that's going to be that sin picture. Remember, on the opposite side of that picture, there is this Jesus Christ that makes the right choice. And to consider Him again when we get tempted this week to look less like Him. And to share with somebody today what helps you look more like Him, especially when those pictures of sin start popping up. Those pictures of the old Adam that only bring death. Let's share with each other what helps us remember the picture of the new Adam, Jesus Christ, that only brings life. Share that with somebody here today. Share that with me before you leave so that I can, if you're willing, to share it with the rest of the world, at least the part of the world that, that reads Facebook. Because I'd love to share some thoughts from this congregation about how we, as a body of believers, consider Him and look at Him when we say, I need to look more like Jesus. What helps me do that? Do that. Think about that this week. And choose Jesus this week as we stand and as we sing.